Well, uh, a couple things. I, I just to uh, lay some ground rules here before we continue on because it's going to be really important. The first is this is a family Sunday, so kids are staying with us. And we're just one big happy family. And so uh, if you need to go for a walk or go find something to do, like something to color back at the back tables, uh, the only thing you can't do is go get more cocoa. All right? That's not going to help any of us. Uh, but we're all going to be in here together. And so, yeah, if you, need to, if you need to take a walk and get the wiggles out, just please uh, get up and do that. Uh, some news and noteworthy things that happened this last week um, or are happening this week is our drummer, Ken, is retiring on December 1st. Yeah, I know. Round of applause. That's a big deal. I was, we were talking before the service, and I was like, is, this, is that just weird? Like, you're going to wake up and you don't go to school, you don't go to work, you... Yeah, and, and so, uh, but you're going to do lots of yard work. Oh, yeah, you guys have some trips, I, I, I believe, but that's pretty awesome, so please congratulate Ken if you get a chance. Um, how giving works at our church is I forget to pray for the offering like I just did a minute ago, um, but we have a box in the back that if you brought physical offerings, you can drop it in that, but most of our giving is done online, and so... Uh, cascadecub.com slash bulletin. You can find a link in there to do online giving or many, and many of you have set up uh, through bill pay uh, to do your donations. And so we very much appreciate that. And there's a lot of nonprofits, a lot of churches that are hurting this year that are behind financially. Uh, we're one of those. We're still trying to hold our expenses down as much as possible, but would love for you to consider some extra year in giving towards us. Uh, but also to, to manage and pray through all of the other needs that I know uh, arrive in your email box and your inbox too. Uh, there's lots of good ministries and good people that need support, and uh, God's people will step up, I'm sure. So please consider doing that this year. Uh, my family just got back from Hawaii, and so we have a few uh, photos to share with you, and this was a postponed trip from 2020, so how's that? We just kept getting pushed back and pushed back. And so my daughter, Bryn, and Corey, and my son, Mark, and we're staying at the beach. And we saw lots and lots of cool stuff. Uh, we're a, a Corey grew up in San Diego, so the next picture um, is this is pretty much what we do the whole time we're there. We're, we're at the beach. And so I get bored at the beach, so I bring, you know, stuff to do, like books and, and things like that. But we also play in the waves and uh, do lots of stuff. This year, we got to see the next picture. In the same day, on two different beaches, we saw beached sea turtles, which we do tons and tons of snorkeling. And so that's a really cool thing uh, that our kids, Corey and I have always done this, and now we're subjecting our kids like you have to learn how to snorkel. Uh, but we'd never seen this. And in, in the same day, we saw two turtles up on the beach. And so we're just like, oh, well, you know, that probably happens a lot in Hawaii. But one of the locals we were talking to was like, uh, no, that's really, really, really where rare. So um, it was a great trip, uh, a good time to get away for us. The fall is just a super busy season for us, as I'm sure it is for all of you. And so this year we tried something different. We're like, all right, kids, you're missing school or you're missing conferences anyway, because yes, we're those parents who skip the push here in Advent, and it was a really great time. Um, absolutely the weirdest thing in the world is to walk around hearing Christmas music when it's 80 degrees outside. I just couldn't get used to that, but it's that time of year. But one of the most familiar images surrounding the birth of Jesus is in Luke uh, chapters one and two. And when Mary and Joseph traveled to Jerusalem, 
around the time Mary was to give birth. And they inquire about a place to stay because Mary is very great with child, is the phrase. And they were told there's no room for them in the inn. Hello? Do you see Mary? Very pregnant young woman? There's no room in the inn? I mean, was the innkeeper cruel or heartless, indifferent? Probably not. He just didn't have the room. And so our lives are often like that inn. We often feel like that innkeeper. We'd like to accommodate Jesus. We'd like to make room for God. But with very full lives and schedules, we don't think, we just don't have the space or the time. So our Advent theme this year is about making room. How can we make time and space for God during this, the busiest time of year for many of us? How can we keep Jesus at the center of Christmas instead of turning him away from our maxed out life? How can we make room for the king? And so we're going to begin today uh, with the, the name of the sermon is Making Room for a Promise, and that's inspired by the, uh, the day two title from this book. And I'd mentioned this earlier, we've got two devotional things happening uh, in the life of our church, which is kind of crazy, we went from none to three. Uh, but as a church, all of us are doing this one, and here's how it works. Uh, this is excellent. If, if, you, if you are able to get online and order this, I don't think you'll be disappointed. It's uh, every day for 25 days, and so I've had people ask me, like, when do I start? I, I really don't care, all right, because you start today. Start today, first day of Advent. I know there's only 25. If you, by some miracle, check off every single day and you run out of days on December 22nd or whenever that would be, then God bless you. I am not that disciplined. And so if you start early and you miss a day, like, oh, you don't even have to catch up. You just, oh, I'll do it tomorrow, all right? So that's not an excuse for mediocrity. That's just life, right? Uh, but each day starts out with, it's got some great artwork. You kind of center yourself or quiet the distractions and focus yourself just by, uh, they got a little prompt here for you to think about each day, looking at the picture. Uh, it's got some scripture and uh, some devotional thoughts behind that and also a, co a couple reflective questions and a prayer at the end of each day. And so this is a, I mean, in 10 minutes, you're through this. And whether you do that in the morning or in the evening, uh, or sometime in the middle of the day, it can be a great way to just be present to what God is doing around you. So as we make room for a promise, uh, that's kind of where we're at this morning. Also at the start of Luke's gospel, where we meet two very unlikely first-time parents. And the promise here, uh, as we're talking about, has to do with one God made Abraham into the people of Israel. God said that he would make them into a great people, that they would be a blessing to all nations. He'd made a promise to send a Messiah, a deliverer. It wasn't a matter of if God was going to do this, but when. So the hopes and prayers of an entire nation rested on the arrival of this one child. And it's not too unlike the hopes and prayers of all married couples who anxiously await for the news of their own little bundle of joy. And so that's where we begin this morning. Luke chapter 1, verse 5. In the time of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Ab Abijah. Wasn't ready for that one. His wife Elizabeth was also a descendant of Aaron. 
Both of them were righteous in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly, but they were childless because Elizabeth was not able to conceive. And they were both very old. Once, when Zechariah's division was on duty and he was serving as a priest before God, he was chosen by lot, according to the custom of the priesthood, to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And when the time for the burning of incense came, all the assembled worshipers were praying outside. So here's our two main characters for this morning. Zechariah, who's a priest serving in the temple in Jerusalem. Elizabeth, who it said is also from a priestly family. So lots of, lots of priestly traditions in their lives. And we learn that there's a deep and unfulfilled longing in their life. There's no babies. Have you ever longed for something or someone that seemingly everyone else has reached or received or experienced? But for you, it just seems to be frustratingly out of reach or even is denied to you? That's what we're going to talk about this morning. God, are, are you listening? God, do you see me? Do you hear me? God, do you care? These are the prayers we pray when we ask that God would bless us with the gift of a child. These are the prayers that we pray when we're looking for a husband or a wife or when we're needing to heal a broken marriage. These are the prayers that we pray when we're looking for a good job, when we want an open door for our career. We pray for our health and healing. We pray, too, for the people that we love and care about most. Sometimes we pray these prayers just to make it through another day that this season that seems to never end would just do that, come to an end. God, are you listening? Do you see me? Do you care? And how painful it is in those moments to encounter silence from God in the face of these deep, deep longings. So here's Zechariah the priest entering the temple to burn incense before the Lord. And we'll soon learn that he's going to be in there for a really, really, really long time. Everyone is waiting just outside the door. But first, take a look at how Luke describes Zechariah and Elizabeth. This is verse 6. The start of that, it says, Both were righteous in the sight of God. Both are righteous in the sight of God. It means they're not just going through the motions. They don't have a, a, a carefully sculpted, uh, curated image, social image online of being good people. No, they're actually the real deal like model Israelites, model people. And we're taught that people like this, people like Zechariah and Elizabeth, aren't supposed to have these sorts of problems. We're taught that in God's economy, if I believe in God and I do what's right, then God will bless me with all of my heart's desires. Not the desires to win the lottery or anything like that, but just... Stuff that everyone else has. I know. No one would ever assume God works on that kind of formula, would they? Until you're desperate. Desperate is exactly what Zechariah and Elizabeth probably were. But what happens when the time for a miracle arrives and just passes you on by? That's Elizabeth. That's Zechariah. They're childless. 
childless because, as the text says, Elizabeth couldn't conceive. Ouch. I don't know if that's a statement of blame from Scripture, but it kind of feels like that. I'm sure if you've ever been through something like Elizabeth and Zechariah, it feels like blame. Someone always wants to point fingers, sometimes even ourselves. Whose fault is this? We know from modern medicine, it's shown us that couples like Zechariah and Elizabeth, that as much as 30% of the time, it's just a complete mystery. No one can explain why. But that hasn't stopped being childless as becoming a leading cause for divorce among couples in our country today. I don't think it's just our country or just our time. It's probably always been a leading cause for pain and suffering and stress and division in a marriage. Because we're talking about dreams, dreams that are crushed. And so if it's not my fault and it's not your fault, is it God's fault? God, are you listening? Do you see what's going on here? Do you even care? So for our characters, Zechariah and Elizabeth, we start to understand a very deep, very personal pain that they've walked through together. Together. You'll notice it says Zechariah and Elizabeth. It's their story. It's their life. And I'd like to imagine that it's their love for one another that's kept them together into their old age. And in their old age, I'd guess that hope for a child had probably long faded. But even so, I bet that still hurts. So you can start to feel the tension building here at the start of Luke chapter 1. You can start to see the similarities here between this old man performing his priestly duties while the people of Israel wait outside. Zechariah and Elizabeth have been waiting for a child that seemingly will never come. The people of Israel have been waiting for a Messiah, a Christ child that seemingly will never come. Our devotional book that we're walking through together as a church, uh, Bette Dickinson, she points out these parallels uh, in one of her days, uh, early days here, and she says, it's a barren couple and a barren nation. And just imagine the collective frustration, the collective confusion, disappointment. For Israel and this ailing couple, it's like God just went silent. God, what's, what's taken so long? Outside the temple, beyond the people, waiting for Zechariah to come out, waiting patiently, what's taken him so long? The nation of Israel is under foreign occupation. I mean, it had been hundreds of years of uh, they've been at the mercy of the Babylonians, the Persians, the Greeks, the Romans. 400 years had gone by since God had spoken through any one of his prophets. 400 years. Our nation is only how old? Half of that? A little bit more? 400 years since God had directly spoken through a prophet to his people. So for generations, the people of Israel, including Zechariah himself, had been praying, had been imploring God to rescue them. Hadn't God promised a king? God, are you listening? Do you care? Do you see what's going on here? And yet all they heard from God was silence. 
So this is probably the point where you wonder if you're Zechariah and Elizabeth. Did I do something wrong? God, did I, did I offend you or make you angry with me in some way? And you start to really feel for this old couple. And before you pass any judgment, the writer tells us, just to make sure, they've observed the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. Blamelessly. It's not their fault. There's nothing more for them to do. I wonder how many of us have ever felt the same way as Zechariah and Elizabeth. I mean, the scripture, it's full of people, heroes of the faith who've had to wait for God's promises to be fulfilled. And that's a little different than an unanswered prayer where we don't know when or why God may or may not answer us. But we're talking here about the promises of God, the ones he's spoken in the Bible. You take the characters of Abraham and Sarah in Genesis, another childless couple. God promised them descendants as numerous as grains of the sand. They were so old when their child was finally born that they named him Isaac, which means laughter. It's a play on words. I mean, almost like everyone's laughing at us. We're so old to finally be having a child now. That's what Isaac means. Or what about Joshua and Caleb? They're the two spies sent into the promised land by Moses to scout it out. And they're the only two that came back and said, hey, let's go for it. God is with us. Who can be against us? And every other one of the Israelites that went on that mission with them said, no way. They were too scared. And so after years of slavery in Egypt, the promised land was just frustratingly out of reach. And yet Joshua and Caleb would wait 70 years wandering around in the desert just to enter the promised land. Or you take Anna. We'll meet her in just a couple weeks. She's a prophet whose husband died very young. She devoted her whole adult life until she was at least 84 years old, probably older, to worshiping and praying to the Lord in the temple. And about Anna, the Bible says, she was looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. She was waiting for the Messiah. 84 years. That's when she finally met Mary's son, Jesus. So why does it take God so long? God, are you listening? Do you see what's going on here? God, do you care? What takes him so long to answer our prayers? to fulfill the promises that he's given to us in Scripture. Maybe God's promises are kind of like good fruit, and they just need time to ripen. I love living in Washington State. One of the things that I love most about being here is all the things that we can grow. We grow apples and cherries and pears and peaches and raspberries, blueberries, blackberries, grapes, did I leave anything out? Probably a lot. I love fruit. I love growing fruit. It's incredible. But what keeps you from just plucking fruit off early in the season? Not ready. It's not ripe. Even though it's right there and you can see it, it's too soon. You have to wait. You have to wait for that tree or that vine to grow. You have to wait for the blossoms to Come and the bees to do their work and for the fruit to set. And then agonizingly you stare at that fruit for 
a long, long time for all of the sugars to concentrate and to ripen. It takes time. Maybe the same is true with the promises of God. Maybe the same is true with the promises of God. It takes time for them to ripen. Rather than closing the door and trying to push out all the disappointment, the anger and pain that we might feel when we say, God, are you listening? Do you care? Do you see what's going on here? Instead, we can make room for God and his promises by waiting with hope. Waiting with hope. How do we do that? How do we wait for God to fulfill his promises, to answer our prayers patiently? How do we wait with hope? Well, if you ask my family, I'm probably the last person that you'd want to take any advice uh, from on learning how to wait. I'm terrible. Uh, God forbid we ever have to wait in traffic as a family. In fact, I annoy myself with how much I complain about the traffic. All right, so I, have, you know, I can only imagine what it's like for them, and they're very happy to let me know. Could you just zip it for a little while? So when it comes to waiting for God to actually move in our lives, how do we do that? How do we wait without getting frustrated? How do, you know, how do you wait without complaining? How do you wait without having endless doubts in yourself and God? How do you wait without getting annoyed with the Almighty? All of those things complaining, having doubts, getting annoyed. I mean, I think that's normal, maybe natural, inevitable even. But then what happens after that? Can you bring those complaints to God? Can you hold that doubt before him? Can you keep from allowing that annoyance from turning into something else like bitterness or resentment? or contempt towards God? That's the trick. We all wonder maybe God didn't hear us. Sometimes we wonder maybe God can't do it. But what if God won't do it? Can I handle that? It might be helpful to make a distinction here. You know, when we're talking about God's promises, we're talking about big things, promises like he's made to come back again, the second advent. That's a joyous time because he's going to make the world whole once again. He's going to end all the suffering that we experience, not just ourselves, but for humanity. God, when are you coming back? It's promises uh, of him to love us and to never leave us. It's promises to forgive and heal us, to end our suffering. And he does all of these things and will do all these things, but we wait for their total fulfillment. And so alongside these promises that we uh, talk about and sing about and hear about and preach about, alongside those is this long list of prayers that most of us have. It's things like, God, the gift of a child, please. It's that he'd heal the illness or injury in a person that we love. It's the prayers that someone we care about very deeply would come to know the, know the joy and the salvation of Jesus. And often, very often, we don't know how to even verbalize these prayers, but we don't know how or if these prayers will be answered, so we wait. Waiting in hope means 
that you intentionally choose to believe, God has your best interests in mind. Waiting in hope means that you choose to believe God loves you and cares for you. Waiting in hope means that you believe even if things don't turn out exactly how you want, God's going to give you the strength to carry you through it, that he will be enough for you. That's what it means to wait with hope. But it can be really difficult to wait. You know, maybe you're like Zechariah and Elizabeth, and while you wait for God to move, you just keep doing the right things, which is wonderful, unless it's a subtle way of you trying to control God or force his hand, win his approval. What's your motive here? Maybe when you're uh, waiting, you're like me, and you just try and take charge and control of the situation. So instead of waiting, uh, uh, in fact, if I'm really overwhelmed and stressed, I employ a very simple strategy that I call do everything everywhere all at once. Maybe you've tried this. But the only thing overfunctioning does is annoy all the people you love. It very rarely ever makes whatever it is that you're waiting for uh, or trying to control, like materialize faster. It usually only leaves me more depleted and drives away the people I love most. Maybe while you wait, you try to escape. I try to escape by procrastinating or trying to forget about it. Maybe you binge Netflix or Instagram or video games. Or worse, we binge things like alcohol, cannabis, dare I say, pornography. We do weird and crazily destructive things while we're trying to numb that pain or escape the uncomfortableness of waiting. God, are you listening? Are you going to come through? Do you see what I, what's going on here? Do you care? God's promises need time to ripen. So maybe why it takes so long for God to answer these prayers, to fulfill his promises, is that preparing me to receive his answer when the time is ripe. I shift my focus from wondering when God will answer to how he's preparing me to receive his answer. Waiting isn't a season where nothing is happening inside of us. Waiting is a season where God is growing us, changing us, transforming us by the power of his Holy Spirit. We're developing things. We're producing the fruit of patience, perseverance, and longing for God. We're learning to loosen our grip on total control. And so here's Zechariah, the priest, at the beginning of Luke's gospel. He's about to receive the word of the Lord, but he doesn't know it yet. He's dreamed and prayed and prayed and dreamed his whole life for a child that God would bless them with. with. He's hoped and he's waited, he's waited and he's hoped, he's waited, and now he's an old man. He's an old man just showing up to do his job at the temple. He's preparing to burn incense while all the assembled worshipers waited outside. I don't know about you, but I didn't realize this week as I was preparing for this message or a couple weeks ago as I was writing it, that I knew only priests were allowed inside the temple in Jerusalem. Um, but I did learn a few things. I got a diagram I want to show you. So uh, this is the 
an artist's rendition of the Holy of Holies. So this is what we think the inside of, uh, of the temple looked like at the time of Jesus. And so uh, all the people, um, only priests would ever see the inside here. They were the only ones allowed to go in there. And only the high priest, once a year, is allowed to go behind that wall, or there's a curtain there, into the Holy of Holies, where the Ark of the Covenant is and the cherubim are situated there. Um, but twice a day, other priests would, would come in and take, uh, trim the wicks and candles and burn incense and things like that. But what I learned this week is that at the time of Jesus, there were 20,000 priests in Israel. At least that's what scholars think. You do the math. How often do you think you're going inside there to trim the wicks and burn the incense and do that stuff? Like never. They would choose it by lot. It was a lottery. And priests only work like two weeks out of the year. I mean, I know you all think that I only work one day a week, but two <laughs> weeks out of the year. That would be amazing. The rest of the time, they're off doing their other day job. They're fishermen, they're farmers, they're providing for their family, and then they get called up. It's almost like, you know, being a reservist, a National Guard or something. You know, oh yeah, it's time to go do my weeks out of the year. And so uh, they would be chosen by lot to, to go in and, and do this. It was a once-in-a-lifetime honor. And so here's Zechariah, old, old man. He'd waited his whole life to do this. And now he's inside, and all the people are wondering, what's taking him so long? Well, Luke chapter 1, verse 11. Then the angel of the Lord appeared to Zechariah, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was startled and gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, don't be afraid, Zechariah, your prayer has been heard. I almost wonder if he thought at that time, which prayer, right? Your prayer has been heard. Your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son, and you are to call him John. He will be a joy and delight to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the war Lord. He is never to take fermented wine or, or wine or fermented drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he's born. He will bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Zechariah asked the angel, how can I be sure of this? I'm an old man and my wife is well along in years. Thanks for pointing that out, Zechariah. <laughs> the angel said to him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God. And I've been sent to speak to you and to tell you this good news. And now you will be silent and not able to speak until this day happens because you did not believe my words, which will come true at their appointed time. Meanwhile, the people were waiting, 
waiting for Zechariah and wondering why he stayed so long in the temple. And when he came out, he could not speak to them. They realized he'd seen a vision in the temple, for he kept making signs to them, but remained unable to speak. So you got to feel for Zechariah. He's waited his whole life. Did he hear this right? The angel says, your prayer has been heard. Your son will be a joy and a delight to you. He'll bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord, their God. Am I crazy? Am I old? Have I lost my mind? This is too good to be true. So Zechariah asks, how can I be sure of this? The priest, the professional God follower, I might add. How can I be sure of this? Mary, the teenager, when she receives news from Gabriel that she's about to bear the Messiah, all she says is, I'm the Lord's servant. But the old guy who should know better, the professional, how can I be sure of this? How can I be sure of this? What do you think Zechariah expected to find in the temple that day? Or maybe the question is who? He's standing at the altar of incense. The most holy of holies is right behind this curtain in front of him. That's where God's physical presence dwells. Who did he expect to find right there? A God who doesn't listen? A God who doesn't hear? Who forgets? Who doesn't care? Maybe it's a God who's too busy, or worse, a God who withholds. He probably expected to find a God who disappointed him. But instead, God spoke. And Zechariah didn't quite have the faith to believe. How can I be so sure of this? So you start to see the irony here involved with this priest. You and your wife have been chosen to bear a son who will go before the Lord. God won't be silent to you or your people any longer, Zechariah. But guess what? You will. You'll be silent. Sometimes silence helps us to receive God's word. Sometimes silence helps us to develop and build our faith because there's just a lot of noise out there. There's a lot of noise in here. There's a lot of noise here too. Um, when I was about 10 years old, my older cousin got a Walkman. I found a picture of what I thought the vintage 80s. I don't know if that's it. I do remember the, like, sponge headphones, though. And uh, so my older cousins were super cool. And one Thanksgiving, I think I was probably 10, they uh, let me wear this, or they let me listen to it. And it, it was amazing. I mean, it was Boy George, right? And wham, I got to listen to cassette tapes of awesome bands. And they had these really rocking headphones, and there was probably enough batteries in that to power it that it almost pulled down my pants okay they were really heavy i remember that big massive belt clip and so here in you know 1985 i was just really 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 cool but i remember what my grandma used to say about the music and especially the the, the music of that time that's all just a bunch of noise that's what my grandma would say oh it's just all a bunch of noise she was, of course, talking about the music, but looking back, I realized my grandma's words apply to life. We live in a world full of noise, don't we? 
inside, outside, all over the place. It's our crazy, chaotic, overscheduled, busy, noisy life. How could we ever hear, let alone receive God's word? And so maybe we've come to believe in a God who doesn't hear or forgets or who withholds, or definitely who disappoints us. And like Zechariah, maybe we need silence to quiet all the noise that's in our life. You know, silence is a powerful thing. God uses it over and over again in Scripture to show himself to people. I mean, in the beginning, it's silent. And out of that silence, God speaks. And life spews forth. Uh, the prophet Elijah, he went to speak with God. You could argue that, you know, no one was tighter with the Lord. And there was an earthquake, there was a windstorm, there was a raging fire. God was not in any of those. It says that when Elijah heard a gentle whisper, literally the sound of silence, if it has a sound, that's when he knew it was God. That's when God was there. Throughout Scripture, you're, you find people, especially in the Psalms, begging, pleading uh, with God to, to hear them. Psalm 83, O God, do not keep silent. Do not be quiet, O God. Be not still. Psalm 28, to you I call, o Lord, my rock. Do not turn a deaf ear to me, for you will remain silent. For if you remain silent... I will be like those who've gone down to the pit. You'll also find in Scripture God pleading with people to be silent. Psalm 46.10, be still and know that I am God. You see, silence has a, a very profound function in our soul. We do a lot of talking. We do a lot of communicating. Sometimes God just wants us to be still, to pay attention, to listen. I've come to realize in my life that however silent God may seem to be, he's still there. And instead of asking the question, God, are you listening? The question becomes, am I listening? Am I ready to receive what you have to say to me? I read a, a book called The Cloister Walk. It's by Kathleen Norris. And she uses the practice of silence uh, with elementary art students. And there's this one little girl who tells her, silence reminds me to take my soul with me wherever I go. We all have a soul. It's this dynamic communication. I don't even know what the word is ability with God. We do a lot, a lot, at least I do, of complaining, of doubting, of giving God feedback in the different areas that I need him to show up. How often do I listen? How often do you listen? We need to listen. We need to uh, learn to use this powerful tool of silence to sit in God's presence, to just wait and receive whatever word he may have for us. So let's try that this Advent. Let's start to make room for God by learning to wait in hope. Hope for God's promises. 
They need time to ripen in our lives. Let's learn to make room for God by uh, loosening our grip on absolute control of everything, of doing everything everywhere all at once, of overfunctioning, or whatever it might be. Let's try and loosen our grip on that this Advent. This Advent, let's try to shift our focus from God, are you listening to, am I ready to receive your word? Maybe this Advent, we can withdraw for just a moment each day to practice being silent before God. That could be a physical withdrawal. Like, yeah, you need to go find a quiet space. If you've got young kids, good luck finding that, right? You got one or two minutes max. But be creative. Find a way to find that pocket, that space. It might look different for different people. But it could be withdrawing from some voice or some noise in order to hear God's word. God is present and active in our world. He's there in each and every one of our lives. So let's make room for him this Advent and see what happens. Amen? Please join me in prayer. Lord, we are so grateful for the gift of Jesus and this little baby that you sent into the world so, so long ago. And we know him by so many different names. Emmanuel, the Prince of Peace. We are so thankful, Lord, for the salvation that he will bring. So instead of being busy and preoccupied and overwhelmed and overfunctioning, Lord, Help us to find little moments, to steal little moments away to make room for him. We pray this in the powerful name of your son.